called Selah. And um, so we're, we're continuing on, kind of looking through the Psalms, asking the question, what does it look like to pause and reflect on what God is teaching us, and, and especially through the lives of both people within our church family and friends of our church family. Uh, today, we have one of those friends of our church family, uh, who's also a friend of mine named Gino Kirkarudo. And uh, I've known the Kirkarudos for quite a few years, and they've been great friends for uh, Mandy and me and the boys and we've been tracking what they've been up to in Philadelphia as they've been helping to plant a church community there and uh, just watching all the things that God is teaching him mm-hmm. along the years. And, and um, so I've benefited greatly just from our friendship and what God has taught me through Gino mm-hmm. and uh, been blessed to, to hopefully do the same for them. Yes, indeed. And uh, so he, he agreed to come this morning and just share with us. Uh, so we're going to be in Psalm 100, I believe. Yes, sir. So... Um, <laughs> And uh, Gino's just going to be sharing some of the things that God's been teaching him through that and through his experience, and, mm-hmm. and so we're blessed to have him this morning. So he also, uh, should I ruin the, your daughters? No, you, I, I, I was going to say it if you didn't. So okay, well, ahead. I didn't know if you wanted, I didn't want to steal your... I don't have your, like any jokes or anything. Okay, all right. No, so, don't go for it. It's yours, it's yours. So, <laughs> Stage is yours, bro. So his daughter's name is actually Selah. Um, so, so, you know, they're... they're uh, Understanding of the the concept is uh, fully so I got formed. A, I got 40 minutes on a 12-year-old. <laughs> Get ready. So I, I told Sailor this morning. I said the whole morning is in honor of you. Like your name's <laughs> going to be on the screen and everything. So, um, so anyway, let me pray for Gino and for for our time. Father, thank you uh, for this morning that we get to gather uh, to experience you. Thank you that you. Um, through what Jesus has done for us to cleanse our hearts by His perfect blood, uh, you can send your Spirit into our lives uh, to teach us to to be the presence of God in our hearts, to, uh, to to minister to us exactly where we're at this morning. And so, thank you, God, that we come uh, not just to to receive something from from a friend or from an instructor, from a teacher, but we get to hear from you and we get to uh, experience you again. Father, I pray that you would just lead us this morning. Um, thank you for our friend Gino who's come to, to uh, teach us what you've been teaching him. pray that your grace would be on him and that you'd fill him with your spirit as well. Mm-hmm. So we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, bro. Good morning, Cultivate. Good to be back with you, fam. It's really good to be back here. Um, yeah, so so talking about pausing and reflecting in the Psalms, that's the word Selah. That's what most people think it means, is that it means to pause and reflect, to slow down. When Jay asked me if, um, if I'd take part in this series, I thought, that's awesome. That, I mean, that's an easy one. I think about that a lot, and the Psalms are super important to me. And also, though, this is more of like a, a message of reflection on what God's teaching me. So it, it becomes very personal. And as you're preparing a message like that, it becomes kind of challenging because you're like, I don't know how much I want to share publicly with people. Can I just teach the text and go home? Wouldn't that be okay? You know, so, but, I, but I love you guys and I know that you love us. And um, we're, even if I haven't met you or the, today was the first day you met, we're family. I know that's true in Jesus. So... This is going to have a little bit of a different tone. I am going to teach a little bit about the psalm, but I'm also going to teach you about how I've understood the psalm and what God was showing me, because actually he did it this last week. Like Right as Jay was saying, hey, would you do this? I'm like, Psalm 100, that's my psalm, that's one I go to. And that week, he kind of showed me something that I hadn't really realized I wasn't seeing clearly. So you're getting real-time 
as I'm, I'm experiencing it. Um, Psalm 100 has been something that I go back to a lot because there's so much in it. It's so rich in celebration, in, in teaching about God, who He is and, and what He's done, and, and this idea of celebrating Him. It almost seems like the rest of Scripture. It's inexhaustible. But for me personally, it's, it's just a place that I go back all the time. No matter how many times I go, I always seem to have God show me something different that I, that I didn't see before. Not that it changes, but I change. It's also, um, the Psalms are helpful to me personally, and maybe you can relate to this, because the Psalms don't read like this pithy little greeting card that has like a little saying and then it's tied up nice and neat when you open it up. But it shows like raw emotion, the, the raw emotion of being human. There are psalms that just talk about these things. You're going, well, that's, we shouldn't really be talking about that. That's, that's a little too detailed, you know, there. But the, the highs and the lows, the, the emotions, the sorrow, the love, the hope, and the joy of what it's like to be in God's family are displayed and demonstrated in the psalms. And for me, I just kind of like that rawness that's there. And, and Psalm 100 is one that I've gone back time and time again. So here's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to spend the first part of this message kind of explaining how I've always seen Psalm 100, what I see in it, what I think it's really teaching us. And then the second part, and these aren't necessarily divided equally by time, just so you know. The second part, I'll just share with you just personally what God's been showing me and how that's kind of improved, in a sense, my, my worship of him, increased my love for what he's showing me in the psalm. So we'll, we'll take a look at Psalm 100. I think it's going to be up there. But I'll, I'll, um, I'll tell you that this. It's made up of four stanzas, and they read kind of like this interplay between this idea of worship, or what we call doxology, and theology, or knowledge of God. There's, there's this, this interplay, if you will, this change between here's some things, here's some ways to worship God, and then here's some reasons to worship God. Does that make sense? As, as, as these four stanzas work between each other, if you've ever read it that way, I think it'll, it'll be helpful if you haven't, I'm sorry, if you haven't read it that way, to see that. Because there's, there's this idea that... Um, that's taught quite a bit, and I'll, I'll share. It's a lot of a lot of churchy words here, but it's this: it's theology leads to doxology. So theology is the study of God. Your your understanding of God leads to doxology. Your worship of God. So in a sense, the the saying could be that the way that you know God affects how you celebrate and worship God. Are you with me so far? Cool. So I would say also that not only does the way that you know God affect how you worship God, but the way you worship God is demonstrated in how you live your life. How you li- it affects the way you live your life. So theology might lead to or affect your doxology, but doxology, as a result of theology, will change your biography. Kind of cool, you can remember that, you can write that down. Theology, doxology, and biography. Your life story is affected by and rooted in what you know about God, but also how you celebrate Him as well. And that's something that's just been rooted in my heart and head for many years. It was taught to me, I see it expressed, and I see that so clearly in this, in this psalm. Another way of saying that is what you know in your head, believe in your heart, is expressed through your hands. Head, heart, and hands. So let's, let's look at this psalm and let's look through these, these different stanzas and how they show worship and theology. In verse 1, 
Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You see, in in verse 3, right there is, is theology. It says, know something about God. Let that link between verse 3 and verse 2 kind of sink in to your head and heart. Come into his presence with singing, know something about God. You're singing because you know something about him. Sing and know. Serve with gladness. Know who he is that you're serving. Make a joyful noise. Know who you're making a joyful noise about. You see that, that link there? Is that helpful to you? It's been so helpful to me over the years. In other words, if you're going to make a joyful noise, let it be about someone you know something about. It seems that the root of right worship is right knowledge about God. Singing based on knowing. Tracking with me? Good. So that's what I've assumed all along, is that proper theology leads to proper worship, and proper worship will lead to right actions in my life. And I think there's a lot of truth to that, but I also think that um, we can fall into some pitfalls. We're going to get there a little later. But I just want to tip my hand a little bit so you can stay, stay with me on this. Maybe said in, uh, in, in the way that I said earlier that theology leads to doxology, leads to biography. And sometimes when you see your life, you look at your life and you're saying, I'm not sure if my life is lining up with what I know to be true about God. You might find a way to see that change by going back to what you know about God. That's, that seems reasonable, Right? You guys can talk. It's cool. We can, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. So your knowledge of God, in effect, if you just look at this linearly, your knowledge of God is going to affect the outcome of your life story. Head, heart, hands. Now, that's what I've always been taught. I said that. That's what I've always seen. And I think that's really important to to look at that. But I do think that there's some implications that we'll get to in a second. But I want to jump into verse 4 in stanza 3. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And this is worship again. Enter with thanksgiving. Do you enter Sunday gathering with the family with thanksgiving? You're in the presence of God. Give thanks to Him. Enter with praise. Bless His name. In stanza 1, the first part of this psalm, the worship took the form of joy and gladness and singing. And here, the worship takes the form of thanksgiving, praise, and blessing to God. Now let's go to verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Do you see that again now between 3 and 4? Enter with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And now know these things about him. For the Lord is good. It's good. So we see it again, this doxology and theology interplaying and the theology leading to this doxology and then affecting how you live your life. So, So here's my question for you, and I'd love for us to interact together with this one. Can you think of a time, maybe a particular story, where some, your understanding about God maybe changed a little bit and it affected the way you worshipped, you celebrated Him? Not just saying singing, though it could have been that, 
Maybe just there was a moment in, in quiet time alone or in a conversation with a friend or something as you were reading scripture. Anything where you realized there was something that you learned about God and it affected the way you celebrated him. <laughs> Amen to that. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't give up on us. Well, you guys just shared the rest of my message, so I'm going to sit down. Thank you. It always happens. I, I had this thought as I was coming over here this morning of just like how it's so, it's so great to come into um, this group of people, this church family, where I know that it's not going to be weird for you to dialogue with me and to hear from others because there's something strange to me, and this is not a judgment against anyone. Um, it's not meant as a judgment. It's probably going to sound like one, but it's just, just a, it's, it's strange to me that there's, there's always this one person that we'd hear from week to week when everyone has that spirit of God in them and can bring something and share something. So, so to me, I just, I love the idea that I can, I can spend time with the Lord and pray and, and prepare a message and then come here and be taught by you. So. Thanks for, for doing that. We're probably going to do that again in just another second. Because, um, so that's a basic understanding of, of Psalm 100. That's kind of the last 15 years kind of distilled into this idea of theology, doxology, and biography. And I think that that's a good thing. I wouldn't have shared it if I didn't think it was a good thing. Um, but I also think that there are some potential challenges that that implies, and this is what God's been showing me this week, is that sometimes those challenges become just habits, those, impl- those implications become habits, and now your understanding of the scriptures becomes just this knowledge and information transfer. So I wonder if, if, you're, if you're tracking with me, and this might be, might be more than what you want to take on right now, but can you think of some potential challenges that might occur from just seeing this simplistic idea that your knowledge leads to your worship, leads to your life. Does that make sense? If it's just that reductionistic, simplistic way, what, what might be some challenges to that? Yeah. That's so good. It's like you're, there's there's difference there's differences in maybe what we might be seeing from what we're reading, but also with people. Like this assumes such a Western, like um, middle to upper class understanding of being able to just take in knowledge. If we're saying that it requires information, knowledge to come in to change your heart, and and so what what might happen as a result of that is that um, we might neglect that there are some people, there are some people in our communities that, in my neighborhood that can't read, and they're adults. How do they get information? There's other ways around this. So I think it's a true statement. Theology affects doxology and leads to your biography. But I think if we just look to plug it in, it's like, oh, if they just need more information, what are the sources, they, and like you're saying, right? And what, are, what is their ability to take in that information? I think that's, that's a really good point. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, I like, I like what you said. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. So I, I was thinking, I'm going to move forward if that's right. Thanks, Jen. Um, 
I was thinking of two that kind of, as I was reflecting on this this week, one, one goes along with this idea of like knowing about God versus knowing God. I think that one of the potential pitfalls is, is that we might come to this thinking that as long as I'm studying, as long as I'm putting in information in my head, then I must be worshiping and living rightly. There could be this simplistic, like reductionistic thinking of as long as I'm reading books, as long as I'm listening to sermons, as then I'm, my heart is going to be inclined. And there's, there's a measure of truth in that, but do you see the challenge in that? Like we're fully just looking at information input and, and expecting it to make a change. And I think that's this idea of like knowing about God, but do you know God? And here, but here's the other one, um, is, is how it affects us. And this is kind of where I was struggling, or maybe tend to struggle, and that is that like greater knowledge that leads to greater worship, leads to better living it out, it could imply to me that if I'm not seeing this worshipful attitude and this life lived in the way that I would expect, or I'm not celebrating God in my life, that if I'm going through a dry spell, as we like to say as Christians, right, it's because I don't have enough information about God. And that my performance is directly related to, I just don't have enough information. So what do I do? I seek more information and I blame myself. Because I got away from knowing more about God. So I start feeling the weight of this. And I start focusing on myself. And whether or not I'm doing things correctly. Not just am I doing enough things, but am I doing things correctly? Do I know God properly? How can I know God properly? Do I know enough about him? And I've become so focused on my own self and my own efforts, I can't even look to him. Because I'm so spending so much time evaluating me and my performance, and I'm thinking that there's this, this way out of it, but it has to be me doing something to get myself out of it. You follow with me? That's, that's just blah, honest, spitting it out to you. That's, that's how it is. It also affects then from that the way I view God. Does it not? I mean, we're talking about me, so you don't even have to be vulnerable right here, right? You can all just judge me and help me right here. It affects the way I might see God if I'm starting to say like, well, what is it I have to do for you? What is it that I need to do? What is it that I need to know? Why are you so distant, like holding back the information? Why won't you just let me know what's going on? Um, and I'm here performing for you. And you are distant. Anyone ever seen the show The Voice? Is that still a thing? I don't even know. I saw it like twice. Um, and I thought, so if you don't know The Voice, like they have someone come up and sing and the judges all have their chairs with their backs turned to the performers. And if they hear something that they like or something that they think has potential, they're impressed with, they press a button and they turn around and they see them face to face. And I saw that and I was like, man, so often that's what my Christian life is like with God. I'm here doing the thing. I'm performing. I'm demonstrating how much you've given me and how much I love you and your back is turned to me. Like, what do I have to do to get you to press the button, God? What is it? And I have a sense that I'm not alone in that happening. Maybe I'm the only one who's silly enough to think of the voice as a metaphor for it, but that just gives you an insight into what's between the ears here. 
I, I try harder, and I'll maybe even like, you know, go back to, to hitting the books. But, but you know what? What I ne- neglect is I'm thinking so much about this cycle of what do I have to do to prove myself to God and, and why I, I get caught up in what, how am I affect, I don't even think about how I'm affecting other people. So recently, um, so you know that we're, we're seeing a church form among people who are uninterested in the church. That's what I tell people when they ask about what we're doing. We actually believe that God has sent us there to reach people that would not come to a church building, and we're seeing it happen um, in small ways, but lots of relationships. That's not what I'm here to talk about. I'd love to share about that with you and tell you some crazy stories that we've seen God do. But I also work in my business a couple days a week as a chiropractor. I'm also um, a leader in a church planting network where I coach and train other people to do the things that we're doing. So all of that is I have three vocations in a sense. And the last couple of weeks, I haven't been, I've been realizing more and more that I'm not managing my time well. And I'm kind of always stressed. And I realized that, like, I was feeling like I was just trying to get my to-dos done and perform. And out of that good performance, I'd keep God's favor, which is really not something that I realized until Jill took me aside and said, my wife, Jill, she said, um, you know, I don't know if you know this, but you don't seem to be very happy like you usually are. And you, you seem to be short-tempered and kind of snapping and I'm thinking, like, what is this about? Like, why, why is this happening? Like, I'm, the whole time I'm thinking, I just have to perform better. I just have to get my to-dos done. Then I'll have time for my family. Because, because if I get everything done, and then I'm a good father and a husband, God will be pleased with me. And I wasn't even realizing this until she pulled me aside and said it. And we were sitting there talking, and I realized, like, I don't even, like, have intimacy with God. I'm so just caught up in doing stuff that I just don't. I, I just assume I know things about him. I assume that I that I know what he wants from me, and I assume that I'm living out my calling, but I'm not enjoying him. And if I kept this up, I would feel more and more like he's a taskmaster than a dad. And and so I'm so grateful for for my wife, you know, pointing that out to me. And then spending time praying about it. And here's what I did. This is what I want to share with you. Because here's what I did. I prayed, and God sent me back to Psalm 100. Not just because I was going to be teaching on it and committed to it, but because that's a practice and a pattern for me. And here's what my prayer was. After all of that being revealed to me, and the challenge of it was, Lord, show me Give me more knowledge of you so that I might worship you rightly. Which is a good prayer. I think it's a good prayer. I'm not into judging prayers, but in the moment I thought that was a pretty good prayer. But do you see that the pattern was, I went right back to you. Give me some information to fix this problem. I didn't say, Lord, just give me more of you and change me. I said, Lord, give me more information about you, knowledge of you, so that I might be changed. And here's what I swear he, he said to me, I did, not audibly, but he pointed me to, to two passages in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 8.1, which basically says that knowledge puffs up. Thanks, Jesus. That's awesome. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, which is the wedding passage, right? The passage about love. It's actually not for weddings. I mean, it's great for weddings if you used it. Don't be offended. I just think it's actually for the Christian life. Where Paul is telling us that, that 
all of these things, prophecy, speaking in tongues, having knowledge, is of no use if you don't have love. So I think God had a different message for me. It's like, in all of your understanding of me, Gino, do you really love me? In fact, he speaks to me like he should someone who's living in South Philly. He's like, look, you know enough about me. Do you actually care about me? I'll just be plain with you. I'm like, yeah, of course. Okay, then just hang out with me. Relax about how much you know about me. So if I'm honest, I was a little shook by this because I kind of liked the ease of just going through reading and then just kind of going, oh, that makes sense. That's really good. And now I'll be changed. And then actually being changed because that works. But now I was actually feeling like I'm challenged in my relationship. Do you really care about me? And I do, but I don't know, like, how do I express that? So I had to go through this psalm and say, what is it that the Lord is teaching me or showing me in this that will change the way I actually feel about him? So I read the psalm again. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say that knowledge can't spur on love. Please don't hear me say that I'm saying, like, throw out theology and doxology and biography and that, that cool little piffy saying. I, I think it's good, but I'm saying apart from a change of heart, it's just a process that's dry and useless. The most important thing is to know like who we are and who God is. And that's, that's what God's always saying. Like It's not about how much you know. Tell me, how much did the thief on the cross know compared to what we know? He knew he was in need and Jesus was going to help him. Sufficient. Today, you'll be with me <laughs> in paradise. The woman at the well. And she was a great evangelist. <laughs> She didn't have her systematics lined up, though, you know. She, she, but she knew that this man knew all that there was about him and her and told her that. And she was cared for. And he was gentle. And he was the Savior. And that was enough for her. Again, I'm not here to say let's close our textbooks and forget learning. That's, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm saying, for me, what's the end result? Where are you going with it? And, and, and God spoke to me in this psalm through verse 3. It says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So this is where I kind of had my pause and reflect time. I, I just stopped right there. We're, we're his people. The sheep of his pasture. Who am I? I'm a sheep. I'm a sheep. I don't know how much of an in-depth study of sheep you've done or any shepherding you've done, but everything I've ever read is not very complimentary about sheep. <laughs> they're not the most intelligent animals. In fact, most people would say they're stupid. That's what they say. They're stupid. Sheep are stupid. I'm like, that's not a really kind thing. But then when you see that they'd wander off on their own, <laughs> they'd put themselves in harm's way, They'd follow any distraction or selfish desire, even at the risk of their own destruction. And I thought, I'm a sheep. <laughs> it reminded me of a, of a poem that I'd like to read to you by, by Misha Willett called Pastoral. And it kind of communicates in a very nice, poetic, and somewhat humorous way what it's like, what Jesus is saying about the sheep, what we're like. 
Let us not overlook, he says, out over us from the lectern like a shepherd with a crook of words bent on folding, folding us back into our pen or penning us back into our fold, the stupidity and defenselessness of sheep. We bleat. In this analogy, who are we, he proceeds. Goats, you see, they can handle themselves. Horns and hoofs, cranial helmets, they ram full tilt into posts or other goats. But sheep, mind you, Sheep have no homing device, which is why stories begin with a lost one. They're even known to head toward danger. Oh, look, a wolf. Let's check it out. (laughs) In dumb allegiance to the interesting, which I find interesting, and think how to amend our sheepish sheepish ways, but he to drive home both both a point and, oh ye, the size, it's beyond you, beyond me. Dumb allegiance to the interesting. (laughs) And I thought, you know, no amount of getting my to-dos done, no amount of improving my performance, no amount of success, no amount of learning is going to change me from a sheep. The best, most obedient, most, maybe even the most risk-taking sheep is still a sheep. Helpless, insufficient, needy, and oh so loved by the shepherd. So when I think of sheep, I always think of Luke 15. It's, I think it's up there. I think I made that slide. Um, so I'll read it to you. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawn near to him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And I've just learned, this is just how my brain works, whenever it says Jesus is going to tell a parable, get ready for a mic drop moment. You know, He's going to say something that's going to stir some things up for people. So he told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more, rejoice, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. The needy sheep have a great shepherd, do they not? If you're a lost sheep... He pursues you. He leaves everything and pursues you and rejoices over bringing you back. So what does that mean for those that are running from the shepherd? It means that Jesus is coming for you. And he's using his people to do that. We get to pursue others in that way. But also, if you're a found sheep, if you're you're like me, one that he's found, he loves and celebrates you. He celebrates that you're part of his fold. And it says in scripture that, that I know his voice and I respond to him. So when I'm reminded of his love for me, I respond to that. That Jesus is the shepherd, the perfect shepherd that loves his sheep. And that, that kind of changes the sheep identity to, for me. <laughs> That's what, what God was showing me this week. He was changing that identity from thinking like, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm lost and Needy, and that's a bad thing because that is a bad thing in our society, right? No one wants to be needy. But that 
that kind of love changes everything. See, I'm loved and I'm pursued, not because I'm worthy, but because Jesus is worthy. I'm loved and pursued not because I earned it or could earn it, but because Jesus earned that for me. And he knows that I'm a sheep in need. I'm celebrated and rejoiced over, not because I've proven myself to be the best among all the sheep, but because the shepherd loves all of his sheep. The weight is off. It feels like a, a big weight coming off of my back that I, this week that I don't have to perform. I don't have to be successful. I just have to be a needy sheep. So now, go back to Psalm 100 and consider Psalm 100 again in light of this idea. This Jesus who leaves the other sheep to find the lost one and rejoices over its returning is the same God that we're called to make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Make a joyful noise. He's made a joyful noise over you and bringing you home. He sings and celebrates over you. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his people. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is God. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. I think that this weight coming off and recognizing that it's not how well we do things and getting this reminder again is so important. It's, it's how Jesus has performed. Galatians 2.20 would tell us that, that in the gospel, Jesus has totally replaced you. That you've been crucified with Christ. You've died to yourself and the life that you now live, you live through God living in you. There's no more you to try and perform with. It's Jesus playing it out for you on your behalf. I don't need to make myself better or to prove myself. Jesus has already done it. In the heavenly studio of the voice, all of the chairs are turned because of Jesus' performance on my behalf and yours. We're approved of because of what he's done. David Zoll, a pastor and an author, he wrote this about the gospel. The cross of Christ both exposes the futility of our efforts at establishing ourselves and answers them. It ushers in the real freedom that we are loved and valued, not according to what we do, but what Jesus has done. That is, we are good because God is good, not because we are good. The shackles are off once and for all. We're free. God in his love and mercy is continually showing me that in Jesus I'm free. In Jesus you're free too. Free to leave the exhausting madness of trying to prove yourself to yourself, to others, to God. That really the truth is in yourself you're insufficient to save yourself, to fix yourself, and even to sustain yourself. So you get to slow down. And you're free. Pause and jump into that. Sit there. You're free to be a sheep. A sheep of Jesus' fold. You're free to be loved and to love others. And most of all, you're free to rest. 
Let's pray together. Father, thank you that in Jesus we are free to rest. That, that we have a Sabbath rest because we have one who fulfilled the Sabbath for us. Lord, thank you that you have used your word, your people, your spirit to constantly guide me back to this truth. Um, though my, my stubborn heart longs to do things on my own, you guide me back to my need for you. And I pray that in sharing that with others, they would see the same that we are insufficient on our own, that we are needy, that we're sheep, and there's nothing better than being a sheep in Jesus' fold. It's a good thing to be loved by the shepherd. It's a good thing to be guided by the shepherd. It's a good thing to be cared for by the shepherd and be his sheep. Let us all this day and maybe into the future be reminded of that so that we would celebrate you because we're weak and needy. And that would be a thing of beauty for us, not something we'd try to change. That we would celebrate your fulfilling our need in Jesus. Lord, we love you and we're grateful for you. And continue to show us your love for us, that we might show that to others, that they would come to know you too. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.